Blog Talk Radio. Excuse me, the 200th. I'm going off there a little bit. The 527th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. <coughs> Excuse me. You can get your daily reading from me and other writers over at jerseysportingnews.com. And the uh, chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. And ladies and gentlemen, what, what an amazing uh, decision day we had on this Sunday in Major League Soccer. Teams barely making the playoffs, make the playoffs. Teams that were supposed to do wonderful things did so. And we all know what happened with teams that are basically running away with it, did so. And that, of course, we all know to be the New England Revolution. And um, just another regular season come and gone. And all you can say is that it was a hell of a finish, a spectacular final. And what are you going to say? I'll tell you what you can say. Let's hope the playoffs will be just as important and as interesting as the regular season was. And what are you going to do? It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait for this. And it's going to be fantastic. Now, Major League Soccer is... Going to get ready for a brand new 2022 season as they have already put out the scheduling formation, the format to start the season, uh, when it's going to start, when it's going to end, and when is the MLS Cup final for the format and conference alignment. So, as of right now, in 2022, Decision Day will begin on February the 26th. Decision Day, will, which is the last day of the regular season, will be on October the 9th. And then MLS Cup Final, the championship, will be on November the 5th. This, my friends, is the earliest... An MLS season is going to start, and the earliest it's going to end. And don't forget, when the MLS season is over, we are going to go straight to the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar, a couple of at least maybe about a week, in the, a week plus away in the middle of November. 
So you may have to watch some thanks, some soccer during the Thanksgiving uh, dinner table discussions, depending on uh, how long you can last and how long you can make uh, your eyes stay open so you can have your meal. And then, of course, be prepared for a, another late-nighter in the early hours of the morning for the FIFA World Cup to begin. I don't know if you'll be able to uh, do it. I'm going to try my best, but it's going to be a tough task uh, if you ask me. But um, we'll see what happens when we get ready for that FIFA World Cup. Now, those are the key dates that MLS is concentrating on to start the year and the uh, regular season and the MLS Cup championship game. Here is the format. All teams will play a 34-game regular season, 17 home and 17 away. All teams will face each other, or, excuse me, will face off against their regular normal conference opponents twice. (coughs) Excuse me. One home, one away. And they will play eight non-conference opponents once. So four of the eight will be at your home stadium, and then the other four will be on the road. And obviously, as always, it's going to be a really tough thing to talk about. Does this count as a real regular season and all that fun stuff? And we don't have to worry about that right now. MLS regular season schedule will consist of all weekend matches with the exception of five or fewer midweek matches, targeting one each in May, June, and July. And there will be two in August. That's just not bad. The midweek match dates for each team will not be scheduled in consecutive weeks. MLS will seek to avoid scheduling matches during the FIFA national windows in March, June, or September. Only at a team's request will MLS consider scheduling a match during the March window or during the second weekend of the June double window. And that's where that's going to get a little interesting and we'll see what happens going forward. Once again, Here is the Western Conference alignment. Nashville SC goes back to the West, and they will be joined by Austin, Colorado, Dallas, Houston, LAFC, LA Galaxy, Minnesota United, Salt Lake, Portland, San Jose, Seattle, Sporting Kansas City, and Vancouver. And in the East, the new expansion side, Charlotte FC, will be coming in. They will be joined with Atlanta United, also with Chicago Fire, Cincinnati, Columbus, D.C. United, Miami, Montreal, the New England Revolution, New York City FC, the New York Red Bulls, Orlando City, Philadelphia, Toronto. There you go. And once again, that is the league announcement going forward. And you know what? It, it's great to see that happen. Um, and the way this season went, a little haphazardness because you barely played any Western Conference teams. And, you know, just like the old days before, it went to just two games, two in a conference opponent, and, of course, three games against a rival, or at least the closest rival you have, played three times against D.C., three times against Philadelphia, 
three times against New York City FC and three times against New England Revolution. That's, of course, the New York Red Bull side of things. Um, you know, these rivalries. And, of course, three games against Columbus. Um, three times against, no, I should say, yeah, three, yep, three times against Chicago. And then only twice against Cincinnati. Um, twice against Atlanta. Twice against Orlando. Twice against Miami. But now you're going back to a regular situation. And once again, you're playing eight teams in the opposite conference out of 14. And this is where it's going to get interesting and it's going to get uh, exciting. So we'll see what happens. And once again, 14 sides each. The league is evened out. Next year, of course, St. Louis City comes into play in MLS. And they'll be the 29th team in Major League Soccer. And then that 30th team is still up for grabs. As we all know, that Sacramento has pulled out. So that 30th team is now up in the air. We'll see what happens. Who's going to take that uh, 30th position over? And you know what? We'll have to wait and see what the situation is going to hap- is going to be and what's going to happen. And I have to say this. You know, MLS is trying to continue on to be the top division in this league, in this, excuse me, the top division, the top league in this country. Obviously, you'd like some certain headaches to go away and MLS can truly start, you know, doing some of these things, some of these subtractions. But the only way it's going to work is if, and I'm not saying I want it to happen, I think it's nice to have Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver in the MLS, but one day you're just going to have to say that those three sides are going to have to make this jump to the Canadian Premier League as they are truly the first division club, or excuse me, the first division league in Canada and they have to start looking into being a part of the Canadian soccer fabric, which they still are, saying that it would be nice for them to join the rest of the Canadian Premier League teams. Now, obviously, you've got two clubs in Wales that are part of the English Premier League, like Swansea, like Cardiff. I don't think either of them are going to leave there. I mean, if look, if Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver stays... So be it. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But we'll see what happens moving forward. But I'm just saying that it would be nice, I think, to see if those Canadian teams can play against those three MLS sides, not just every year in the Canadian Championship, which has been amazing, but, you know, you'd like to see a club like Forge in Hamilton, Ontario, challenge Toronto FC and what? a rivalry and what a derby that could be. So once again, I'm just saying, you know, just saying that, you know, there would be some nice things going on if it's possible. But for now, you know, this is what it is right now and and I'm okay with it. But once again, you know, they had to start somewhere. And so far, 
seeing what Montreal has done, seeing what Toronto has done, what Vancouver's doing. And the funny thing is, you got Vancouver in the MLS Cup playoffs as the lone Canadian representative, while both Toronto and Montreal fell apart and basically just found a way to not do anything. Of course, with Toronto, it was more uh, automatic, you know, wounding themselves with the coaching hire. And Montreal not doing enough. Of course, you know, I think they have a solid opportunity with uh, Wilfred Nancy as the manager of the Impact. I think he's done some great things for them. And uh, I think Montreal is on the right track with Nancy as the uh, manager for the club. Outside of that, Vancouver's done a decent job, but probably more needs to happen there. Toronto, of course, being the big club that they are, we'll see what happens moving forward uh, down the road. But once again, you know, it's, these things are, uh, you know, got to talk about it. And how about those New York Red Bulls? I'll save it for the uh, Red Bull uh, segment for what Gerhard Struber has done. And that's the one thing about Struber. I I think you can definitely say this about him. When you think everything is doom and gloom and whenever you think that he is running a club that is at the moment not in a good place, somehow he finds a way to turn it all around and puts them in position to make a big run to remain above and remain in a playoff chase and then to a playoff position. And that was what he did for Barnsley by avoiding relegation. And to see what he did with Barnsley and what he's doing with the Red Bulls, it is a miracle of what has been going on and what they have done to achieve it moving forward. And all you can say is, is that this is what it means to survive and get to that playoff position that you didn't think was going to happen. But it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot and very exciting as we get ready for the international break. And get ready for the International World Cup qualification games, especially here in CONCACAF. My guests tonight, of course, it will be Michael Batista from the Open Cup uh, website, thecup.us. Joining me tonight to talk about Canada to preview their big games this upcoming Friday and next Tuesday. 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today, Sports Podcasting Network, my good buddy Dwayne Rollins. Dwayne Good evening, and before I get to the Canadian men's national team in these games, I have been trying to I, I have been trying to follow the Canadian Premier League. Thankfully, Fox Soccer Plus does show a match of the week. But I have to say this because I go to YouTube a lot as well. The amazement of what Hamilton Forge has done to put themselves in the discussions every single season since they were created and what they've done in the CONCACAF League to now officially qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League for 2022 
They will be joined with a Canadian representative from the Canadian Championship. What does that say to you as not just a Canadian soccer supporter, a Canadian soccer reporter, but believing in the sport up in Canada to have that amazement of what Hamilton has done to basically take the Canadian Premier League flag and smash it into the ground and say, we are here. Yeah, what it does is it uh, suggests just that there's a lot of talent that's been on tap for a long time. Um, quick geography lesson, if you don't know where Hamilton is, it, it's located about, it would be like a New Jersey team to a New York team that's Toronto, if you know what I mean. Like if you want to do the geography like that, like it's it's about a 30-minute train ride from, from downtown Toronto to, to get into Hamilton. So so it's a suburban team that that's based in the GTA, kind of adjacent anyway. So it, it has all that talent to draw upon and. And for years, uh, a lot of people fell through the cracks. Uh, Bobby Simeonis is the name of the, the head coach there. Um, he's the gentleman with the spectacular beard. And if you've ever seen him, you know who I'm talking. What I'm talking about here. And this is me talking. I have a pretty good beard myself, but that one, no one can touch it in in all of soccer. I can I can tell anyway. Um, he has ran a program down there for years called Sigma. Uh, Sigma for is the the program that was responsible for Kyle Laren, which was the first big star breakout star that came out of that program. They, they've had uh, the Richie Larea as well, another MLS standout that, that came through there. So so they've been producing talent for a while, but but Forge is kind of at the top of their pyramid. Uh, they have been able to use those players that they've developed to, to create the skeleton of that, and, and then bring you know a sprinkling of like kind of Canadian players that didn't you know didn't work out somewhere. Like Kyle Becker, uh, he's had a cup of coffee in, in MLS for years and, and then finally goes to USL, does really good down there, wins a couple championships and, and comes back to play at home and has been the standout captain star of that team there. A guy like Moba Bully, which is a striker, kind of a pure striker that played for TFC during their championship year. But, like, if you don't know that name and you're a big MLS fan, don't worry. You barely played for TFC during that championship year. But he's gone and found a home at Forge, and they've been able to create a team that is is competitive, not just competitive. They qualify for the CCL, and, and look, they're they're not going to be they're they're not going to win that thing. Let's be realistic, but they're not going to be an easy out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you draw them, you're going to have to work to to win that tie, and, and that's that's a remarkable story for a league that's only three years old now. And one of those years was during a pandemic. That's true. That's very very true, and it's just amazing to see what they have done in such a short period of time. Uh, dare I even say it? Maybe are they the Canadian Premier League version of DC United? There you go. Well, they can't. If, in terms of their success off the start, yeah, I, I hope for their sake they're not the DC United ten years from now because we all know what happened there. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, they, uh, they have certainly started as the hottest team and the best team with the coach that everyone wants. And and he's important. The Simeonis is again his name. Um, him and his brother have run Sigma for a long time, and they have an academy, uh, sort of a an agency attached to that, which is sort of a revenue stream. Not to get too much in the weeds, but. But there has been even some talk that he might be interviewed for the TFC job, which is, tells you just how far they've come in a short period of time. Because TFC is not a, a program that is as bad as they have this year that, that tends to go after non-names, so to speak. So for them to even think about that, for him to even in conversation, tells you how successful he has, in fact, been with, with that program. And, uh, yeah, it's a good story. No, it's a fantastic story, and I love reading about that, and it's great. And let's hope uh, they do make some noise in the Champions League uh, starting next year. Now let's go to Canada. Um, what has this run mean to you? We know how good they've been in the past Gold Cup, obviously. I mean, they've had their moments in the Nations League, and they didn't make it to the semifinals, unfortunately. But the way the talent has grown and the way that 
now, as we've said, Canadian players are now coming into the pl- into their uh, place where you, you can't mess around with them. You cannot assume it's an easy cakewalk against Canada because they are coming for that World Cup spot and they want to show the rest of the world that we have <coughs> excuse me they have just as much talent as both Mexico and the United States. What have you seen that's made you smile that's actually put uh, the frown away? And, you know, celebrate like you're about to uh, qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was in the stadium for that Alfonso Davies 75-yard dash and score there. You know, it's the, the best goal I think I might ever see live in my life in terms of the combination of, of skill, absurdity, and, and partisanship from my own perspective. So, so yeah, pretty special moment that. Um, look, this team has really proven under John Herdman and this program, you know, if you include this to extend to the Olympic champion women, that has it's, it's really grown in leaps and bounds over the last year, and it's it's you know these are high level marks, high water marks for Canada. I mean, I I've told the story before how you know I started from the top and now I'm here, so to speak. I'm the reverse Drake when it comes to Canadian soccer because the first game I ever saw was in Valheim to the 1986 World Cup. Um, it's been a long road to get back to something where I think I might be able to see that happen again, but. As I take off my sort of PTSD hat and, and look at this from a, a step back and, and sort of, you know, again, objectively make an observation, I, I don't think there's any question that Canada's talent is top three in the region at this point. I just don't think you can argue against it based on what we've seen so far. And when you look at where they are, third in, in the, um, the off right now, uh, in a spot to go automatic, and they have played the two hardest games on their schedule. They are the first team in hacks or octagonal history in the final round of CONCACAF qualifying history to play both Mexico and the United States on the road and, and not lose, like to get results in both of that. That's never happened before. So that tells you just how good this team is. Um, if you talk to anyone from outside of Canada that doesn't have the same hangups for those of us that are up here about past failures, I think that they all would, would say that this is the team that you would expect to be battling right to the end for that top three spot. And if those countries want to get past them, they're going to have to knock one of us off. And that includes Canada in this point. So look, we still have work to do. I think this round is going to tell us a lot. Um, that second game against Mexico, I know everyone's focused on the other Mexico game this round for, you know, rivalry reasons and all that. But to me, the Canada-Mexico game is as, as intriguing, if not more so, in terms of where the actual power dynamics are right now in CONCACAF. You saw the results down in Azteca, where Canada probably deserved to win that game, which is absurd to say, but absolutely true. Playing them in, in Edmonton, and the long-term forecast right now suggests that it's going to be about about 25 Fahrenheit at kickoff there. So uh, I don't think Mexico is going to be overly happy to be out there and, and we're doing all we can to get that advantage. And if they can get that result and get two results, six points in this window, then yeah, we're, we're not talking about maybes. We're talking about let's figure the math out to when we can clinch this thing at that point. I mean, I have to tell you, um, and I, and I don't say this lightly when I talk about Canada drew against the United States in Nashville, I don't say this lightly, but John Herdman outcoached Greg Berhalter. That's how big of a result that Canada got on the road in Nashville against the U.S. I mean, John Herdman, as soon as they were down 1-0, made substitutions. You get the equalizer from Laren 
with a great assist from Davies. Herdman makes more substitutions. And then he wipes out his entire substitution role. And Greg Berhalter doesn't even make a substitution, you know, in about, I would say, since the, since the forced injury sub in the 44th minute, not counting halftime, at least 39 to 40 minutes of gameplay. And Greg Berhalter makes three subs in the 83rd minute. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, Dwayne. As much as I want to see Greg Perhalter succeed, he was outcoached by John Herdman. And it's not just being outcoached in the World Cup qualification match. He was outcoached at BMO Field during the CONCACAF Nations League group stage match. I mean, John Herdman right now, I would say out of four matches, he's two for four against Berhalter right now. And I don't know what's going to happen on the return leg, whether you know, it gets played at BMO or Stad Saputo or maybe somewhere in you know, Calgary, Winnipeg, Vancouver. But I'm telling you right now, Dwayne, Greg Berhalter has to pay attention to what Canada is doing. He has to pay closer attention to what is going to happen when the U.S. has to travel back up north to take on Le Rouge. Yeah, I mean, look, what I'll say about John Herdman, and I was, you know, I had some reservations when he made the switch from the Canadian women, and I will fully admit that probably some of those reservations were based on institutional misogyny, to be honest. You know, I, like everyone else, went, can you convert from the male to the female game? And that's my, on me, to, to think that. And it's on a lot of people that thought that. I wasn't alone for it by any means. Uh, but he is, he's proven us wrong. He absolutely has. And look, one of the things that, we worried about, we wondered about out loud was whether he'd be able to handle the egos in, in the men's game compared to the women's game. And, and he is what well, he's been asked this directly. He was, there was a very interesting interview. If you want to go seek it out after this, I'm um, on the athletic uh, last week where he, he was on their business, the sport of business podcast, a very interesting interview with him where he talks at, at length about this. So stealing a bit from there, um, you know, he, he thinks, he says that that's absolutely absurd. Like it's, you know, do we not think women have egos? Do you not think he had to manage it there? That's what he say. And, and you know, he also hints to some of the stuff he did. And if you look at some of the players that used to get, you know, automatic call-ups that aren't getting called up anymore, Scott Arfield jumps to mind. Uh, these are guys that maybe were a little old school and didn't necessarily respond to his methods, and he just removed them and put younger guys in. And that's what he does. Like, well, John Herbin is above all else. I, I, I think, you know, if he was to take a job in a club game, I might wonder whether his act might get old quick, honestly, because he is a bit of a – Tony Robbins kind of motivational speaker kind of guy. Um, and maybe if that's day in, day out, you tune him out. But in the short sprints of an international window, I think he's proven, you know, from taking the Canadian women from an absolute low water mark when they, under Carolina Marachi, I'm going way in the weeds here, but under Carolina Marachi, when they finished last in a World Cup, to build that program up very quickly to get two bronze medals back-to-back, which ultimately is the groundwork to become Olympic champions. That's, that's a remarkable story right there. And to extend that into the men's game, like, you can't argue with him. You can't argue with the success he's had at this point. Um, he is an unconventional coach. He is a new school coach, absolutely. He is very much into sports science, very much into analytics. This is trying to take advantage of every little detail you can have, and he is the most prepared man that you will probably ever meet. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that uh, that he might have been able to outcoach Greg Warhalter, who, um, you know, I think is a decent coach, but not necessarily going to, you know, from an outside perspective, he doesn't make you think twice, right? He's just another coach, whereas John Herman is a very interesting and unique individual that I I can't even 
when I think about all of world football, I cannot think of someone else that that would be similar to him. He is exceptionally unique in what he's doing and what he's done. And we're kind of lucky to have him up here. And, and look, the players will ultimately be the ones that get us to Qatar if it happens. But he's going to get a, you know, an honorary mention to that for sure. No, he definitely will. And let me ask you this. Um, since the thrashing of Panama to win that one four goals to one, uh, I understand Drake wants to meet Alfonso Davies. I don't know if that's happened yet already. Uh, let's see what if it does. Um what has been the biggest shock to you that this national team is on the lips of every single sports media uh, uh, important talk show host, whether it be radio? I know what you guys can do with you and Kevin Laramie at Sports Podcasting Network, obviously, but, you know, TSN, Rogers Sportsnet, CBC you know, city, score, TV and radio, what has this meant to you to get the popularity back? And it's been exploding since the Panama game, or probably since this whole World Cup qualification started in the octagonal. Yeah, look, I mean, popularity back. I'm not sure it's coming back. I don't know if it was ever there. Um, but nonetheless, it is kind of interesting to watch it play out. And I, I joked on Twitter the other day that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see the bandwagon fill up because, you know, I could use a rest. I, I could sit back and let someone else carry it for a while because there's been, not to pat my own back too hard, but it's, there's been a few of us that do a lot of the work over the years to try and keep the flame burning in some capacity whatsoever. So, you know, if others want to step up and volunteer and do some of the things, you know, organized viewings and, and stuff envelopes full of T-shirts and work for memberships and, and you know, arrange bars to, to watch away viewings and all that sort of stuff, then, then by all means, we're, we're happy to have you come on board, voyagers.org, but .org, I should say. But anyway, but look, it's, it's exciting to see. what I How I know this is made, and this is a very anecdotal sort of evidence here, and it has nothing to do with major media, it's, you know, I went to watch the Manchester Derby on Saturday at Opera Bob's uh, Public House, which is in Toronto, and it's the home of the MCFC uh, Supporters Club of Toronto. Um, this is a place that is full of a lot of old manx, a lot of guys that are very, uh, what we would call Euro snobs on a show like this, uh, folks that wouldn't even mm-hmm. sniff the TFC when they were winning MLS Cup. Uh, guys, national team, they, national team, you're talking about England, right? Or, or Italy, maybe, or right. Portugal, but I live. Uh, when I walk in that bar and they know who I am, uh, they all want a piece of me for three or four minutes to talk about this national team. And these are, like I said, old men that have mostly watched the whole, uh, the old country, but they're totally willing. They're absolutely, we always figured this, we always knew this, that, you know, there's almost no one out there that isn't open to the idea of supporting a national team. If they've given you something to cheer about and, and this team has, and that goal that Davies scored uh, against Panama, just the sheer it is a perfect Canadian goal too. Look, he's had more skillful moments out there, really. I mean, Panama let themselves down a little bit defending that for sure. But the sprint and the ability to like take a nothing play and make it into something, that really speaks to like the entire like mentality of Canadian sports fans. That sort of underdog effort try hard stuff. I mean, this is the hockey mentality really coming out, like forecheck hard and, you know, dive just to stop the icing or whatever. You, you watch hockey, you know what I'm talking about here. Like that that kind mm-hmm. of really speaks to Canadians. And, and that really, that goal was um, on TSN, like ESPN, they have the play of the day where you vote, the phone-in vote. And yep. that was the phone-in winner vote for like three weeks after that game. And that tells you a lot because the people that are phoning in the vote are probably 60 
<laughs> it's not 22-year-olds calling in that. So this is a, the hockey generation picking this as their play of the week time and time again. So that's, that's something that tells you that, the, that there's a lot going on here. They still have to finish this, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're halfway of through this journey. And mm-hmm. they could you know, they could go on, too, and then suddenly have a very different conversation in a week. But, but most people think that they won't do that. And if they can pull that trigger in six months' time and we can have that night like the U.S. had in, in Trinidad and Tobago, not the last time, but the time in the 80s, uh, that will allow them to go to Italian 90, that's going to be vital. And it's very much that parallel to me because I followed the American program closely, as you know. When it when U.S. qualified in 1990, that mattered so much, and it set them up for 94, and it set them up to be successful moving forward. And with Canada hoping yep. to be a co-host in 2026, having this opportunity to go to 2022 can do, I think, the same thing. I agree with you there. And everyone, while you watch USA-Mexico Friday night on ESPN2, you can definitely watch Canada hosting Costa Rica at Edmonton and Commonwealth Stadium on Paramount Plus app through CBS Sports. Dwayne, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. Good luck on your national break, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, uh, Soccer Today, with uh, darn it, with uh, Kevin Laramay, and, of course, the uh, Sports Podcasting Network, as, uh, once again, Canada is uh, on a roll. Canada is on a roll. They're just doing awesome things. And it's just one of those things where you have to say that you cannot sleep on Canada anymore. You can no longer sleep on Canada anymore. Because why? I'll tell you why. Because that team, that national team, is something special right now. They are doing a job. They're doing a job. They're doing it right. And all you can say is is that this team is doing something great. And boy, oh boy, they are definitely going to be a threat in the rest of this CONCACAF octagonal qualifying World Cup. We had a rumor break out on Twitter. There's some interesting things going on here. We don't know what that is, but definitely we have the right man for the right job because this also involves Open Cup action for 2020. Joining me right now from the Cup.us, Michael Batista joins me. He also writes on the Red Bulls for the Metro. Michael, good evening, and how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's such a busy night. You caught me at a Kearney High School playoff game, but I had to call in so we could talk about this. Absolutely. Now, go ahead and tell the people. I know you told me about it, but I want you to inform the people. What is the rumor going on right now through social media involving lower division soccer in the United States? The big rumor right now is that Detroit City FC, the kind of the like pillar bearers of independent soccer for the past near decade, are in the process of joining USL Championship. Uh, the, the details right now started coming out this morning. The basic idea is that tomorrow there's going to be an emergency meeting between the Board of Governors of the USL Championship, and tomorrow uh, there's going to be, and this has been confirmed by email, that the owners of, this is, you know, Detroit City FC is owned by its fans, that they will be 
email tomorrow, and there'll be a call and a uh, ownership meeting between the fans of Detroit City FC to discuss future the future of the team. We don't know if it's about joining USL Championship, but it's about the future of the team, and all signs are pointing to them joining USL Championship, or at least being very close to. That's amazing. Um, let me just say this about Detroit City FC. We have seen, I know you've probably seen the FIFA TV video of all these wonderful fans from Detroit congregating, filling up Keyworth Stadium. Obviously, they're at the local Polytech football field in downtown Detroit before making their move to Keyworth. And ever since they've been born in the NPSL, Detroit City has basically been what every other hope of a soccer club can be with its association the city they play in and the amount of popularity that goes to the local sports of major sports in this country, like what the Tigers and the Lions and the Red Wings, the Pistons have done for Detroit. Detroit City FC has definitely equal to those four major sports teams you had. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable, really. It's You can look at a lot of aspects of this club. Uh, the, the things like um, starting out, they didn't start out at um, at Keyworth. They, like, they, their home is Keyworth Stadium in Hamtrak, and it's become sort of like this mecca of place where you have to go if you want to see this unique experience in U.S. soccer. Uh, but they didn't start there. They were playing at a high school. Like I, I think you said, poly, uh, poly something, I'm sorry. But the polytech, yeah. Is, yeah, Polytech. So they started there, but they grew eventually. They go, oh, well, we, we can't just play at this high school anymore after two years. They go, oh, well, there's this old stadium. What do you do? Oh, we can be a trust fund with the – we can just be a uh, supporter cleanup effort, a rebuild effort, rebuild a stadium that was built when FDR was president and make it our own sort of that way too. Uh, and then over time it's been uh, selling shares to own the club. Well, we want to grow out of MPSL. We'll do MPSL Pro. That didn't work out. Well, we'll go to NISA. And it's just been this whole thing of slow, steady growth, and it's become more entwined with the community that way. So even though some people might say they aren't as big as, you know, the Detroit Lions or the Pistons, stuff like that, if you talk to the right people, they, they're almost more important in their eyes because they're more part of their lives than some of those fans. You have those super fans of Lions. The Lions are a depressing NFL franchise, but they have to go there every Sunday you have that same sort of dedication to Detroit City FC by the people who own them, by the people who go there every week. It's it's incredible to see. It really is. And, you know, whenever you get to watch a live stream of their games on your computer or web-enabled devices, the amount of support they get is just unbelievable. And obviously, you know, shirt sponsors have been plethora of them. Obviously, it was Chevrolet. I mean, you know, Ford Motor Company probably just sponsored them once or twice as well. I mean, to see the growth of Detroit City becoming this amazing, and now with this rumor coming out that they've made another jump from third division to second. I mean, I know it's not the normal way of how promotion relegation works, obviously, but you know what, though? This is significant. If it is true. This is very significant that Detroit City should be proud of. 
It is. It's also kind of interesting because uh, if you look at the history of like, the past few years, especially, like between 2015 to 2022 that we're getting up to, you have stuff like Nashville FC in the MPSL who started there, played a couple years, were struggling, but they had this identity of, oh, well, we want to move up. We want to do something. And you can talk to a bunch of people, Chattanooga FC supporters or, or original national supporters. It wasn't a clean transition, but they went to Nashville SC and became USL team. And after two years, then they jumped to MLS. It's a whole process. Then you have, you know, a team I support, Miami FC, who were not clean in any way of what they did, but they went, they were NASL. They went down and PSL. They went up and they went up again. It's, if anything, you could say Detroit City FC is probably the one that's the closest to natural as you can make because while they never won an MPSL, they were one, they were very successful. They usually got to the playoffs. They got deep into the playoffs every year. This year, since they joined NISA, they've won everything. They've won every single thing they can. And so moving up to USL Championship just makes sense. And we could talk about the benefits of NISA and, like, how we think it could be a great thing. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of shaky stuff there going on right now, and it makes sense for them to say, you know what, we've done what we can here. USL Championship's a new test for us, and it's stable. And it is something they should be proud of that they can just – that USL wants them. It's not them trying to buy their way into USL last minute. It's USL is probably going to want them, and I think that's something to be admired almost. Oh, absolutely, and that's great to see. Now, obviously, this changes, if it does happen, I should say, that it's official that USL Championship will bring in Detroit City FC. That means there'll be a change of where Detroit City is going to start in the 2022 U.S. Open Cup. Explain that to us. Yeah, I can. So here's the deal. Um, there's a whole lot of math with this. And uh, one of the guys for the Cup.us, Jake, uh, who's a dedicated Armada fan, who's been one of our greatest contributors, he did all the math, and you can find it on our Twitter. Uh, if you go onto the tw- – if you're, anyone listening wants to look at the whole thing, if you go onto our Twitter and you look at the post saying that uh, Detroit City is going to USL or is probably going to USL, uh, the tweet right under it is uh, talking about that. But the basic gist is this. As a member of NISA, which is third division, they would start in the opening round along with NPSL, like USL League 2, and um, USL League 1. However, because they're going to be, if, if accepted, they will be going up to the second-tier professional soccer in this country, they would go into joining the competition in round two, which actually is the farthest they've ever gotten the competition whenever they play. They've only gotten to the second round one time in their three chances. So, if they join USL Championship, they're going to be starting in the second round and not the first. And that's also big for one more reason, and that's because the way the math works is that if you take a team that's third division and you put them up top, or you put them in one tier up, that is going to take away a spot from the national leagues. So, the NPSL, USL League 2, and uh, open division local – they're not going to take away from the open division local because those spots have already been set. So one of the national leagues, NPSL or USL League 2, is going to lose a spot. And I think that's also factoring the rumored drop of Charlotte Independence to USL League 1, which has been rumored for a little bit now. But, yeah, it's a whole domino effect. 
And let's not forget as well, Austin Bold will no longer be around at uh, for next year. They're going to cease operations, unfortunately. Uh, hate to see that happen, but obviously, yeah. You put your stadium in the middle of the uh, America's F1 racetrack, which is kind of a far distance, I understand, from downtown Austin. <laughs> oh, excuse me. And. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is a situation that's plaguing the lower-level soccer, depending on how successful the teams are, and at the same time, you know, where are you going to put that stadium? And unfortunately for the Bulls, they're going to be done, and it's a shame. But other than that, that's very interesting to find out, Michael, and uh, hopefully Joseph uh, will not lose a spot, but... If so be it, so be it. There's nothing much more you can say or do except to wait and see what's going to happen. When will Not much you can do right now. Those, when will be those announcements for when those first round clubs in NPSL and League 2 of USL, when are they going to be informed of what clubs uh, have qualified for the first round? That will be sometime in early January. So right now, I think later this year, around December time, or actually maybe even early January, uh, the top 20 teams from each league are going to get an email saying, hey, you're in line, like, you know, keep track, you could be in line for an Open Cup spot. And then a little bit later, once things get finalized, once the pro teams are all set, everything's set, uh, like the top 15, the top like 12 or so from each league will find out. They're pretty much going to do a wide shot like email set up like early next year, and then it should be finalized sometime around early January, and those teams should find out. Um, I have it's in the Open Cup handbook, and unfortunately I don't have it on me right now. Uh, I'm pretty sure we did mention it on the Cup.us on one of our stories recently. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's interested, mm-hmm. you could find the whole uh, scheduling there. But it should be sometime in early January. All right, good. So we'll find out when that's going to happen. Um, I want to ask you this question, and obviously you pay attention to the lower leagues going on in U.S. soccer. And, you know, this is nothing against NISA. This is nothing against the MLS Next League that's going to be coming somewhere either next year or the year after, depending on when they're going to start, along with USL League 1. But we have three leagues. Do you think it's about time to expand the professional league and let's just have a fourth division, a fifth division? I mean, I'm not saying we've got to be like England where we have like between 9 to 12 completely professional divisions all over the place. But if we're going to have this uh, and this MLS next in third division, isn't that considered a joke when we should go to fourth division? We need something. I don't know exactly what they can do because I've never been a fan of the whole everything under division three isn't recognized at all. I always thought that's just messy and leaves up too much for interpretation. I mean, for a while I, I was, I was the standard bearer of, if we have a fourth division, UPSL is not there. It's fifth division, and that's changed over time. But now you have all these leagues. You have this you, – you, you, the lower league space is growing. MLS wants a part of that. There's a reason why MLS is getting out of USL. It's because they want to do their own thing. And kudos to them, but there's some issues with that because it's too crazy right now. It's too much, and it's just getting to a point where it's unorganized. 
NISA has a lot to worry about on its own before we can start talking about, oh, we have to do fourth division, we have to do this, we have to do that. There's a lot more that, like, they need to worry about themselves right now. USL League One is probably the only one that's kind of safe where they are. But in general, I would say things do need to change. Maybe it's a fourth division. Maybe it's some sort of different kind of tier system. I'm not sure. But overall, yeah, it's way too messy. It's definitely way too messy. Yeah, it really is. Um, Now that this rumor has been out there, and if it does happen that Detroit City does leave Nyssa, how much in trouble is Nyssa right now not having one of those cornerstone clubs that left the NPSL to become a professional side? I mean, I don't know. How is Nyssa doing right now? I mean, I know there's been some issues here and there with some of these clubs, but as a whole for this league, has it been good? Has it been bad? Are we in danger of losing the league? I think we are. The fact of the matter is, Nisa hasn't... All right, so this is something we could talk about because Detroit City fans have been the ones to talk about it, and protagonist soccer has talked about it. Nisa's having trouble paying its own referees. We're getting to that point. It's getting to the point where there are teams who have not gotten trophies or have had to pay out of pocket for their own trophies in multiple tournaments. And that's coming from the teams themselves, like saying that we've had to go two states over to get our NISA Independent Cup trophy. There is a lot of ideas with NISA that sound great on paper, that sound great for um, independent soccer. But we need them to follow through on a lot more of them. And now that Detroit City is leaving, it's just showing that teams that have options will leave. Does that Stumptown Athletic, they don't have options. Chicago House, they don't have options. Someone like Detroit City does. Miami FC did. Oakland Roots did. But it's just going to show you that it's not a place that you're – it's almost like a place where you grow your brand <laughs> and then leave when you're ready. Uh, I think the best way to put it is that Nisa wanted to be this haven of independent soccer. I don't think Miami or Oakland or even Chattanooga to an extent were fully on board with that. They just needed somewhere to play. And if the opportunity arose, they're going to go where they can go. And now that Detroit City, they believe in independence, but Nice is not proving that they could be stable enough. So they're going to say, we still believe in independence, but we're going to go where we can go so we can still keep living. That's what's important to them. You can't fight for independence if you're dead. Yeah, that's very true, and that's a shame of it because, you know, I, I want these clubs to get a fair shot at anything and everything involving this game. And, I, I mean, I know how hard Peter Wilt tried to make this league what it was supposed to be about. But I have a funny feeling, Michael, that this, this could be the first failure in Peter's illustrious history of not only just creating soccer clubs, but, you know, just touching anything in terms of gold. And it, it just feels like the big wigs might have a one leg up on him right now. I love Peter Will. I think, every, I, I think the world of him, he's a great guy, great conversation. We both have talked to him on many occasions. Um, and we know he has USL connections. So who I, I want to hope in my cynical heart that if anything does happen to Nisa, 
he could maybe talk to somebody, maybe get Chicago House into like USL League Two or maybe one. Who knows? But at the end of the day, right? Not not every team has a Peter Wilt. Like I think you know, not every team has that connection. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens. I agree, and you know what? I think that would be a great thing if Lisa does not survive this. I think it would be great for the club to make the move to Lisa Week One, and the brand to be built bigger and better. Because we all know some of those clubs that are MLS Two teams. They're going to be leaving USL altogether, along with those other clubs that are in the Championship League. And they're going to be part of the MLS Next League. So why not make that move and contact USL and say, I think we, our clubs want to move on to League One. And I think that's yeah. the perfect position for them to land. I mean, that would be absolutely fantastic. That's how I feel. I, you know what? I, I hope that could happen. I would love if that's on the table at the very least. Do I think there's too many, like, egos sometimes? Sure, but in a perfect world, I would love that. Well, you know, everyone has an ego in uh, professional soccer. It doesn't matter. Yep, yep. It doesn't matter whose chest uh, gets puffed up the biggest, as long as you, uh, you know how to work your magic, you know what I mean? Oh, I know. I know. We both know that one, especially with the lower leagues. That's right. That's right. So let me ask you this. Uh, we still have some time here, and I kind of owed you these extra five minutes anyway, but um, we have the third round of qualifying for the uh, amateur level. Uh, we got uh, the Northeast about to finish up here uh, this upcoming, should I say, next weekend. Uh, we got Lynchburg FC hosting uh, FC Maritza. We got Northern Virginia FC hosting uh, District Tonia football. We got the uh, Philadelphia Lone Stars hosting Rockton FC United. We also have Westchester United over in Brewster, New York, in uh, Westchester County, uh, hosting Long Island Oyster Bay United. Let me ask you that. I want to ask you about that. How amazing is it that Oyster Bay United took on two legacy clubs with New York Creek American Atlas? And the New York Penn Cyprian Freedom in the first two rounds of Open Cup qualifying, they knocked them off, and now they have an opportunity for the very first time to get into the Cup. How amazing is that a Long Island club like that has a big moment to reach the Open Cup opening, opening round for the first time in the I mean, it's fantastic. It makes me angry because you know that I'm a CSL, I'm a Cosmo League freelancer and an EPSL supporter. I was a little annoyed at first, but once you get talking to the guys over in Oyster Bay, they're a really nice group. They have a lot of talent over there. Uh, a lot of it's a very immigrant-heavy team. You have a lot of people from Haiti or uh, like the Caribbean who are just coming off surgeries, looking for their first shot, wanting to go like move on to the next level, and they're doing everything they can here. Um, it's almost incredible just to think about. They're, it's their first half seat. They only just started. They were they only joined UPSL this summer, past summer, and this is their first like half season, the fall 2021 in UPSL. Um, they're they give out free merch at every match they go to. They want to build a community, and it, their fans are pretty good at it. Uh, their fans come out whenever they can. Uh, and Westchester United themselves, they're just this is their first time doing any sort of men's amateur league. They got uh, a lot of former pros on there. It's, it's a great thing all around. Whoever wins deserves to be there. But Oyster Bay itself, yeah, good on them. 
start walking. Let's start walking this way. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's going to be a fun one. Don't forget, everybody, uh, Northeast and Central qualifying regionals uh, will end uh, in November. Uh, Southeast and West will be finishing up in December. And, of course, for the Central, it'll be Azteca FC against Harpo's. We all know about Harpo's. That's a club that loves the Open Cup tremendously. And, of course, Southwest Football Club taking on Dean kicks. SB, and then we'll worry about of course, December when we get there, if we are able to get there. But anyway, Michael, uh, thanks again for jumping on. I really do appreciate it. I will talk to you again soon. Thanks for the information, and thank you for informing us about uh, this current rumor of Detroit City possibly moving to USL Championship for 2022. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm sorry if you heard some of the celebrating in the background. Carney beat. Uh, Carney's advancing to a cup final, so Everyone's all happy, but I appreciate you having me on. No problem. Thanks for coming on again. Uh, take care. Talk to you uh, soon. Bye. All right, bye-bye. That's uh, Michael Batista, the Cup.us, Open Cup information all over the place, as well as uh, now once a Metro covering the teams in the New York and Jersey area below MLS and the Red Bulls uh, situation moving forward. Uh, quickly now, we're going to move over to uh, this roster for the uh, World Cup qualifying <coughs> this Friday uh, on ESPN2 at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. The United States are taking on Mexico and Cincinnati at the PQL Stadium. And then on Tuesday, uh, late afternooner at 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific next Tuesday, as the United States head down to Kingston, Jamaica, at the office to take on Jamaica, the reggae boys, and uh, that will be their next road game. And then we have nothing until the new year as we get to the end of January, beginning of February, for the next three matches in World Cup qualification. Uh, Here is the roster from head coach Greg Berhalter. The goalkeepers are Sean Johnson, uh, Zach Steffen, and Matt Turner. The defenders are going to be on the back line Reggie Cannon. Mark McKenzie, Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, no relation. One is English and the other one is American, uh, fully. Uh, Joe Scally, uh, we also have Sam Vines, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman. Midfield will be Kellen Acosta, uh, Tyler Adams, Gianluca Busio, Sebastian Leggett, Weston McKenney. Eunice Musa, Christian Roldan, and the forwards will be Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, and football royalty himself, Tim Weah. This is a solid roster. I think can do some damage. I think the big question mark is, of course, what's going to happen against Mexico, but if the kids are going to go and do a job out there. I really believe that they're the ones side of Cincinnati and brand new venue for the U.S. men's national team when it comes to the Dulcicero, the Classico in this one. I really believe that this one, my friends, is going to be probably the most interesting 
qualifier we have ever seen. The most interesting qualifier we have ever seen. And I really believe that there's a possibility of getting six points in these games. What Burhalter needs to do is to continue the good form and the solid run that he's had against Mexico. He might have he might have to tweak a couple of things. And while it was great to see Greg Burhalter getting the wins in both continental tournament finals in the Nations League and the Gold Cup against Mexico with your A roster and the B roster, this is where you're going to have to make an A-plus roster and mix everything into one. And, you know, I, I want to say this publicly. I, I'm going to say this publicly because this is where you as American soccer fans have to mature. And when I say mature, we should no longer have the designation of which American soccer player is coming out of Major League Soccer and which American professional soccer player is coming abroad. We are fighting as one national team. One national team. I understand if you are a U.S. men's national team fan and will only watch American players that are playing in Europe, you have to understand. Some of these players are not like Christian Pulisic or Matthew Hoppe, who just jumped straight ahead over to Europe or even playing in England because you have a dual or at least a passport that you can be an American citizen and a dual citizen of another country in Europe, so you are allowed to play for a European football club, whether it be Borussia Dortmund in Germany, Valencia in Spain, Chelsea in England, PSG in France, okay? Or Inter Milan in, in Italy. There are those American players who play in MLS. They get scouted. And then they come over to those national teams because they sent the scout over. Tim Howard was scouted by Manchester United and was brought over there and then went to Everton before coming back to MLS to finish up his career. I want everyone to understand this. I'm getting sick and tired sick and tired of comparing which American soccer player is better, the ones that play in MLS or the ones that play abroad. It should not matter. We are all Americans. We are different, but we are the same. Whether it be in your name, what state you come from, where your parents came from, it should not matter. What matters is, is this. Where were you born? I was born in Texas. I was born in Florida. I was born in New York. I was born in Maine. I was born in California. I was born here, born there, born here, born there. This state, that state, any state that you want me to do. I am an American. That's all that matters. Plain and simple. 
You are born as an American citizen. Period. And if you cannot wrap it around your thick skull, then you have no right to support the U.S. men's national team. I understand it's better in Europe. I understand playing in Europe brings the best out of American players. But they need to play somewhere before they make the move to Europe. Okay? We need to make sure that American players are doing big things in MLS so that they can be recognized by these big clubs in Europe to bring them over across the Atlantic Ocean. And that is all I have ever said. I'm not here to say which American player is better playing at, even though I know being in Europe is a lot better. And when it comes to goalkeepers, I'll say it one more time. When I am going against Zach Steffen, it's not because he's playing at Manchester City. When I go against Zach Steffen, it's not about him not being a quality goaltender. When I talk about Zach Steffen, who does not deserve the starting job with the U.S. men's national team, it's because he has not played regular, consistent minutes. I do not care about training minutes. If he's training and playing, I'm a happy camper. But he's not doing that. It's only a blip on the screen when he is playing in either a League Cup game or an FA Cup game. Outside of that, outside of that, if he's not playing in the Premier League consistently game in and game out, then he does not deserve to be a starting goalkeeper for this men's national team. Okay? Matt Turner's getting minutes. Sean Johnson's getting minutes. They're starting goalkeepers in MLS. You want to make up silly suggestions about footwork, distribution is horrible. You know what? Matt Turner did not give up a goal because he ran off of his goal line and he did a diving header to clear the ball out. And he put himself a good three to four yards outside of his area before Costa Rica came in and scored a goal. And Zach Steffen was not ready for the shot. Okay? And even saying this pissed you off. If he can go anywhere in England and go out on loan to be a starter somewhere else, quality minutes he deserves. I wouldn't have a problem with that. So you have to understand, if you're going to get loaned out 
to a championship level club, football league one, football league two level club, which is third and fourth division. That does not mean Zach Steffen is in deep trouble. It just means that he's getting a chance to earn minutes. And when Manchester City is ready to bring him in, (coughs) excuse me, to be the starting goalkeeper, when Ederson is done or decides to transfer out, well then, you've answered the question, haven't you? But that little inch of desperation that not being a Premier League goalkeeper, if that happens, rattles your chain. Well, then you don't know anything about football, do you? But what do I know? I don't know. I'm just an MLS lover in your mind. Comes to the national team. And when it comes to World Cup qualification, these are bigger matches than a Gold Cup match. These are, the, are bigger matches than the CONCACAF Nations League. These are the matches to get your ticket to, get, to be stamped for the biggest football party in world soccer history. Do you want to wait another four years before we are the automatic hosts for 2026? Or do you want to start the party now? The truth is, we've got to get into the party and qualify for it. So let's concentrate on that. But if you think my words are hollow, that's your fault, not mine. Because no one gives more of a damn of this national team and myself, Carter Krishnire, and the many other people who cover this game that wants to see the men's national team do well. That's all we're saying. You don't see Guillermo Ochoa, the starting goalkeeper and the number one shirt-wearing keeper for the Mexican national team, being told by Tata Martino... You're going to sit this one out because I want to give this guy a chance because we are playing his match or we're playing this match in his hometown. You're not seeing that. The only time you'll see that is when Mexico officially clinches and depending on how many games are remaining on their schedule, then he'll probably say, I want to see how the backup goalkeeper is going to play. That's when Stefan gets to play. Okay? Until there's a qualification stamp on that ticket, I don't want to see Zach Steffen as the starting goalkeeper. If we get to January games and Matt Turner is not playing because it's the offseason of MLS, then so be it. Because we're not going to have Sean Donson in goal. We're not going to have anybody in goal. Only those European players that are going to be training every day. Because that's what you want. A training pitch goalkeeper to be a starting goalkeeper. No. It should never be like that. It should never, ever be like that. 
But it's going to be like that when we get to January. In March, we'll have a starter ready to go, probably Matt Turner, who proved himself to be the number one goalkeeper of this national team, whether you like it or not. When you go against whoever is on the starting 11, whoever is on the bench, getting ready for a big-time World Cup qualifier, your pettiness shows. If you think too many MLS American-based players are getting a chance. And if it's the other way around, you're also being petty. And stupid. We're not going to go there. Okay? Whatever happens, it happens with the players that get selected and the ones that starts and the ones that are going to sub in. You don't like it? That's fine. You're going to cry about it? Okay, I understand. You want to question Berhalter? That's fine too. Because he'll deserve it. But don't be so diluted because a player plays in MLS and they don't play in Europe and you think that their level is basically not at the highest. It should not matter then you don't deserve to wear that U.S. men's national team jersey, do you? No, you don't. Your acts together and support the national team. Support first, ask questions later. You'll find out that you've been wrong all this time. The New York Red Bulls qualified for the MLS Cup playoffs. They had that Hard draw at home against Atlanta United. That gave him four points. Going down to Nashville, Tennessee. Got some help because it was a match in hand. All they had to do was either win the match or draw the match at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. And they go right into the playoffs. How about that goal from Fabio and how it was set up so brilliantly? Caden Clark with another excellent through ball, finding Christian Casares Jr. Crosses it perfectly to Fabio in the middle of the park, in the middle of the area. Settles it with the left. Bunts it in there with the right. one no Red Bulls, 35 seconds in. The first dagger was delivered. And then, of course, Hany Mukhtar. You got to admit, hell of a goal. Yes, Fabio helped it a little bit with a poor deflection. But still, where Hany Mukhtar placed it was unreal. But I have to say this. That match for the final day, for decision day, was probably the best match I have ever seen in my life involving the Red Bulls against an opponent that they have rarely played against. And whatever happens with Nashville down the road, we'll wait and see. But I'm telling you right now, ladies and gentlemen, don't sleep on Nashville. That's a club that is on the move. And that is a club that I believe in Nashville 
they're going to be very, very dangerous towards the Western Conference. It's been an amazing roller coaster ride if you're a Red Bull supporter. Started off okay, fell down in the summer, injuries, poor play, no communication, finding a way to fall down, allowing the equalizer, and then the go-ahead goal. It's just remarkable what they have done and how they've done it. And if they can keep on going, so be it. I don't know how far they'll go, but hopefully it will not be a one and done. Hopefully, everything will be just fine. And that we can move on and get some hockey in and see what's going to happen down the road. And so all I can say is, is that for this Red Bulls team, they've done the impossible. They have absolutely done the impossible. They were dead and buried, and then all of a sudden they turned it into high gear, having a uh, conversation within themselves probably kicking themselves in the backside, but so far everything has been right as rain. And this unbeaten streak of going 12 out of 13 has been unbelievable. All you can do is marvel in this masterclass that Gerhard Struber has set up for the New York Red Bulls. He did it with Barnsley, and now he's done it with the Red Bulls, having horrible years, saving them from either relegation or not making the playoffs to staying in the top flight with the club he was with before coming to the Red Bulls. And now... Finding a way, finding a way to earn their 12th consecutive entrance to the MLS Cup playoffs. Well done, New York Red Bulls of today. So there you have it. There it is. Another show in the books. Don't forget, join me this Friday night at 11 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Pacific, United States, hosting Mexico, World Cup qualification post-game show. And then next Tuesday, November the 16th, United States down at Jamaica, post-game show for World Cup qualification, 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. 
and both games I'll be joined by Carter Krishnire of Major excuse me, of World Soccer Talk. It should be a lot of fun, it should be exciting. I personally cannot wait for this to happen. I want to thank my guests tonight, Dwayne Rollins, twenty fourth minute blog, and of course Michael Batista, Cup.us. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.